Welcome back to the Present Fathers podcast. Our guest in this episode is G. Vidal. His full name is Guillermo Vidal, but he goes by G. G is one of my fellow Apogee brothers. Uh, he's actually further along in the program. He just completed his first year in Apogee. Um, if you're curious what that is, I'll put a link in the description for this so you can check that out for yourselves. But uh, I've known G now for a little bit going through that program, so we've had some good interactions together. And uh, I was a recent guest on his podcast and had to have him on ours. Um, he's got a great story of kind of being stuck in a prolonged state of childhood, uh, you know, kind of a, a teenage boy stuck in a man's body trying to be a family man. Um, and I think that's something a lot of guys struggle with today because there's so many distractions in our lives. So G shares in his story how he overcame those things, uh, overcame some marital troubles, and uh, has really blossomed into a man that leads his family and guides them. And so I think there's a lot to take from his story, a, a lot of great advice, and I hope that it benefits you. If you've been enjoying the podcast and you want to support us, please do us a huge favor and go to YouTube and subscribe and like the video. If you're on one of the podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, et cetera, please leave us a review. It really helps us out. And I think on some of them, there's actually an option to ask a question. Uh, if you have questions for us, drop them on the episode. Uh, we'd love to respond and uh, maybe incorporate that in future episodes. On top of that, we also have launched our store now to get shirts, hats, all that kind of stuff. So check it out. Um, the link is in the description. And uh, it's a great way for you to support us uh, long-term to purchase some merchandise and get some sweet gear in the process. So again, we love you all. We thank you for all of the support. Share this with dads that you believe will benefit from it. And without further ado, let's climb into the episode and hear from G. Vidal. Welcome to the Present Fathers Podcast. This is the show that focuses on climbing the mountain of fatherhood together. We believe that dads matter. And that's why this show is for you. So gear up, dads. Get ready. It's time to start climbing. This is the Present Fathers Podcast, and we are excited to welcome Guillermo Vidal, a.k.a. G, to the podcast, brother. How are you, man? I'm doing well, George. How's everyone doing? Good, dude. It is. Yeah. Uh, so we met last week uh, at the Apogee Gala. So G is a fellow... Well, you're actually the inaugural class for Apogee, and I'm class four, so I'm a little bit behind you in the program. But um, so you're an Apogee brother, you are a father of three children, husband, uh, and you founded and run Alpha Dad Consulting. Did I miss anything? No, I think you got it, man. Got it. All right, <laughs> I did it. I did my uh, got my spiel. Good to yeah. go. All right. Uh, so with that out of the way, G, um, let's. Let's just start a little bit with like, tell us about yourself from, from your point of view, about your family, about Alpha Dad Consulting, and we kind of go from there. Yeah, man. So, uh, you know, um, started this uh, YouTube channel a few years back called Alpha Dad Consulting. Um, I was, uh, went through a lot of different things that we'll get into in terms of in my marriage and with my own dad, right, growing up. And so I developed this real huge passion with helping fathers, right? Kind of like you guys are doing with this podcast. And um, so I got the idea in me. I was like, man, like I, uh, I want to start some sort of a business. I want to start some sort of a channel uh, and put out content to help dads with whatever, you know, whatever I can help them with, whatever the things that I've gone through. Um, so what I did is, uh, you know, I started coming up with ideas, right? The business idea, uh, thing. And during that time, and I was working at Apple. So I had a lot of creative people around me. I was learning a lot of like video editing, music production, all that stuff. Uh, so um, I was using all those talents and leveraging those tools to try to build this YouTube channel and 
this thing out. So starting off, man, I was, uh, I, I got into the blog thing, right? Like that was the the thing during that time that was becoming big. I was like, Hey, you should start a blog and start writing. And I was, a I, I thought to myself that I was a better writer than I was like public speaker or getting on a camera. So I said, all right, let's just start writing content and putting up stuff. Right. And my first business name, I'll tell you guys what it was. It was, it was called local, like crazy in Spanish, local Hispanic dad. Okay. <laughs> this was the first name of the business. And, um, and I was so proud of it, bro. I went in, I told my, my brother who, who lives with us, uh, my younger brother. That's and funny. then I told my wife and they were like, oh yeah, that sounds good. You know, your, your family's always like, yeah, that sounds great. Sure. And I remember uh, being at an Apple store and after I had set up the blog, the website, everything, I was all proud of myself because I got onto WordPress. I did everything right. Uh, this lady comes in. She's like, hey, I'm thinking about starting a website. Um, do you know, do you have any help on that? I was like, girl, you came to the right, the right guy. Let me show you. <laughs> so we go over to one of the Macs, right, in the Apple store. And uh, I start showing her like, hey, you got to use WordPress. You got to do this and that. And watch, if you check out my website, I'll show you what I did. And I go to it. I type it in. Uh, and she looks at the name. She's like, is it called Loco Hispanic Dad? <laughs> she starts cracking up, like cracking <laughs> up in my face. And I'm like, yeah, that that's that's what I called it. She's like, oh, you're serious. Like you're actually, oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. She goes, and I'm like, oh, dude. <laughs> totally such, deflated. Yeah, so like such a like a dagger to my ego, man. I just so that's where that business idea died right there. Um, when I got that <laughs> feedback. And that's when I was like, all right, I need to come up with something else, right? It's, I come up with this uh, alpha dad concept because I like the idea of the alpha, right? And I'm not, I mean, you've met me. I'm like five, seven on a good day, bro. You know, so <laughs> maybe if I'm wearing the right shoes, I'm not like this big, huge, like hyper masculine dude. Like I'm not that guy, right? But I, I've always looked at the term alpha as just being a leader, um, somebody that's at the forefront of anything and and that it has to do a lot more with the mindset of some of an individual than it does with, you know, you just being like this huge yoke dude, right? Um, so I like that concept. And then dad, of course, just being kind of an eternal role that once you become a dad, like you're a dad forever, you know, that that's it. So I like that concept, but I didn't have that last word. Right. So I remember I had all these different words and one of them was hustle, alpha dad hustle. Right. And I remember telling one of my friends who he's the type of guy who I grew up with and he keeps it real with you, like straight 100 and just tells you, dude, this sucks. Or, oh, this is actually pretty good, you know? Yeah. So I tell him the name, and he's like, what are you, a pimp? Like, are you trying to, like, what, <laughs> what, what are you hustling, bro? Like, what is, what is this? Like, this, this, no, man, change the name. Like, do something a little bit more professional, something like that. Uh, and I started thinking about, um, you know, consulting, right? Because I'm like, you know, you look at businesses, yeah. and what do they do when they're struggling in an area of their business? They hire a consultant, right? Like a sales consultant right. or marketing, whatever it is. They come in. They, they assess what's going on, find the constraint and then give them a blueprint on how to fix it. So I'm like, man, like it'd be cool if we had like a family consultant, right? Like a, like a family CEO, because that's kind of what we are as the leaders of the home, right? Like the family right. CEO consultant that can come in and kind of do those kinds of things, like assess what's going on, find the constraint and help him lead better. Right. And, and, and fix the issues or repair the issues that, that, that are going on. So that's the concept that I had. So I'm like, I like this, you know, I like this was just going. So that's where it brew the, the alpha dad consulting and got the domain name, right. And started the YouTube channel and started just posting contents like spaghetti on the wall, bro. Just like <laughs> whatever I could think of, ah, this yep. would be cool. You know, let me just throw it out there. 
Yeah. So I was trying to help dads with like finances and like the business stuff that I was learning and like I, anything I would read a book, I would read, I'd just share it. And, and what I came to learn about the YouTube game is that it's not like that. <laughs> like no. one of the things that I like about YouTube is that it's uh, you know, it gets confused for a social media outlet sometimes like, like Instagram or Facebook, but it's not, it's, it's a search engine, right? And it's the, yep. the second most powerful search engine on earth next to Google and Google owns it. <laughs> So, right. you know, um, and, and I think to myself, like when I go on YouTube, I'm searching for something educational, something like hey, how to do this. Right. Yep. And uh, so learning that game was kind of nice because it gave me the ability to kind of figure out, all right, well, let me get better at copywriting. Let me get better at writing titles, uh, inciting curiosity, getting better at creating thumbnails and playing the YouTube game. So that's kind of what I started doing. Uh, and it wasn't until this last year, earlier this last year, or sorry, no, actually, yeah, it was, yeah, it was actually last year. Late last year is when I started uh, doing a simulcast where I was doing kind of like what you guys are doing, the podcast and the YouTube. But I started as a YouTube channel and then turned it into a podcast. And yeah, now I've uh, now I'm about forty episodes into the podcast, but I've been doing the YouTube for a little longer now, which is it's been cool, man. It's been a, a good ride and this year with Apogee and what we've been doing here since I just completed or I'm completing the year uh, being in this program. Um, now I'm getting into the actual consulting, actual coaching aspect of it, of building out a, you know, a, a brotherhood of men um, that I want to launch here in January. And, uh, and also just, you know, starting working with guys like one-on-one -on -one coaching and all that. And it's going to be yeah. still the content, still the podcast and everything, but it's going to be more of a business side of things that that it's it's getting launched, which is uh, which I'm really 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 excited for. So it's yeah, be cool. it's exciting, man. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go into a little bit of kind of your story and why uh, you have such a big passion for helping dads and men, um, and kind of you know what what qualifies you uh, to do that through your experience and, and the growth that you experienced, right? So uh, <laughs> I I don't know if it makes sense to maybe start with like how you know what was your childhood like and you know did did that, you know, did you have any issues there that really like impacted how you grew up and how you showed up when you became a husband? Yeah, man. Um, yeah. So growing up, I, I grew up in LA. So, you know, Southern California, that was kind of the, the roots. So I grew up around like all the gang life and everything around me. And um, growing up, I was pretty shy, man, pretty introverted. I uh, kind of kept to myself. Uh, I was always kind of the smaller kid in, you know, the group of friends. So, um, I was always looking for kind of the bigger kid to be friends with, right? So that I could have that protection. Or, yeah. <laughs> so I, I was that kid, man. And I was always trying to befriend whoever, like the biggest dude on the block was. Let me let me become this guy's friend because then I don't have to worry about getting bullied or anything like that. I'll be with this dude, right? Um, and that was it, man. So I was I was very much kind of a like a like a people pleaser. I was looking for validation from everybody that I met. Uh, teachers, right? Kids and uh, other, you know, older kids and stuff like that. I, I always, I always sought that out. Um, and part of that was just because my relationship with my own dad, uh, you know, was, was kind of broken, you know, when you're five, six years old, seven years old, like your dad's your hero, right? It doesn't matter what he does, what he doesn't do. Um, you see him as whatever perception you have, but as you get older and going into adolescence, that's when I started seeing him for what he, what he was and you know and one of the things that he he was big on is i mean he like he was a gambler right he, he loved to gamble not a whole lot but he, he did do it and um and he was a ladies man like that was his big downfall is that he 
he wanted to be with as many women as possible. And, and he cheated on my mom for a large part of their marriage. Um, they're still married to this day, but, uh, and I'm going to get into how that is, but he had an accident that kind of made him stop his, uh, his whole infidelity, everything he was doing. So, um, now he's, you know, he can't work, he can't do all these things. And that's, you know, that's kind of what he ended up as. But, um, going back to the childhood that, that was, uh, that was my adolescence, man. I, I had a broken connection with him because I, I, I found out about all the things that he was doing and it made it hard for me to want to dive in and want to seek out a relationship with him when it wasn't being reciprocated. Now, mind you, I don't, I don't hold anything against him now because I understand he was following the limited knowledge that he had and how he grew up. So for him, I mean, he always put food on the table. He always provided. He always did that very well. Like he, he worked hard. He was a hard worker. I, I don't blame him or take that away from him. Um, it's just the the title of your podcast, right? The present father. Like he he wasn't a present father, and that's kind of what I grew up at. Uh, grew up with, I should say. Um, so what that did to me in my teenage years, man, and uh, I started going to church with my cousin, my cousin uh, and his family, my uncle and my aunt and all them, they were all very religious. They were going to church every Sunday and like they were at church like the entire weekend, right? Friday through Sunday and all that. So um, he would always tell me growing up, I was really close to him and he's like, Hey dude, come with me to church. Come with me to church. Come, you know, come spend the weekend over with us. And, uh, and then I finally said, yeah, like I'll do it. You know, I just want to be away from the house. I'll go. Uh, and lo and behold, man, I started going to church and, at first being 13, I was, it was just, it was the girls, you know, I was going to a new church. I was the new guy coming to church. So I was finally like the cool guy, right? Cause nobody knew me. Nobody knew me from school. Nobody knew my background. I was kind of this mystery. So I used that to my advantage to kind of alter ego, right? Play this different character that was more attracting to the people. And I was just different in a different environment. Um, and it wasn't until, uh, about a year doing that God working in me as well, uh, that I started getting into hip hop. Uh, I got invited to, uh, a show, uh, to this underground hip hop. It was a Christian underground hip hop concert, you know, take okay. that as a mouthful. Um, and, uh, I got it invited. It's like a contradictory thing. <laughs> right. I know. Right. <laughs> yeah, dude. I think back now and it, it does seem that way, but yeah, it was like, that was a big thing back in the days that at least in the early two thousands where, like there was the mainstream hip mainstream hip hop, right. right? Like the 50 cent and the Eminem and all that. And there was this underground kind of style that was like Jurassic five and the roots and like all these other artists. Right. And Christian world kind of had the same thing. Like you had like the Lecrae, right? Like the big, big guys and all that. And then you had like the underground hip hop artists, which were like guys named tunnel rats. I'm probably dating myself here, but uh, the, these were some of the, the bands that were there. And these are the bands that I got introduced to hip hop through. So we go to this concert in LA, man, and it's like it's like a small room with these two big old speakers. Everybody's looking in there like sardines, and we're all just like, you know, like eight, like eight mile style, right? Like just raising hands and going up and down. Um, and there was uh, all the all the bands that I grew up listening, or the the groups that I grew up, grew up listening to, were performing that day, man. And they had like a rap battle at the end of it. Like it was it was wild. Like it was so cool. Uh, and it just opened up my eyes to like the possibility of this creative art of, of hip hop. And I was like, man, this is, this is dope. So I went back home and, um, I had this, uh, 
this like reggae CD that somebody had burned for me, right? If you guys remember burned CDs. Uh, so somebody mixed that in uh, LimeWire or Kazaa. Yeah, I was say, they downloaded right? it from LimeWire. Yeah, Lime yeah they downloaded it from LimeWire or Morpheus or, or, Napster, or, yeah. or Napster. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. they downloaded that and made that CD for me. And on that CD, there was a two-minute instrumental track, right? So uh, from there, I just, I literally, I just put it in my CD player, right? And then uh, I, I had it on loop and it was just going back and forth, man, on that, those two minutes. And I just kept listening to the beat over and over yeah. and over and I kept writing. And that's where I wrote my first rap. And I remember uh, my cousin came over uh, and, you know, he came in with his girlfriend. He's, they came to pick me up, take me to church. We we're going to go to church. And I told him, I was like, hey, dude, can you... uh you come with me to the room real quick. Just leave your girl out here. I just want to show you something that I did. Uh, so I take him into the room uh, and then I, you know, I, I perform it. This is my first time rapping in front yeah. of anybody. I perform it. And he's like, dude, did you just, did you just write that? I was like, yeah, man. Like this is, I, you know, I was listening to this. I wrote it and he goes and gets his girlfriend, brings her in. Uh, and he's like, do it again, do it again. You know, just in front of me. <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, thanks man. Like, yeah. And so I do it again and they're both like, dude, this is, this is pretty good, man. Like for the first time. So, uh, and that just kind of opened up the world, man, of, of starting, uh, doing hip hop and got connected with other guys from different churches. And we started this group called methodical elements. Uh, and we were able to do that for close to 10 years. We were just kind of performing all over LA and, uh, and it was, it was, it was a good time. And, but during that time, um, I meet this man cause you know, with, with the issues with my dad, uh, I was always seeking out father figures, right? Mm -hmm. Like older men that I saw as wise and that would provide me with any type of counsel. I would always listen to them. I, you know, I'd yeah. be that weird kid. Like I was the youngest guy in the group, but I'd be over there with like the older folk, just kind of listening, right. trying to get wisdom, right? Get, get a, a step ahead. And uh, there was a man, his name is Dirk. Uh, I call him pops endearingly because he, he earned that role in my life. Uh, and, you know, he saw me going through those uh, growth uh, in church, you know, he was, uh, he was a white dude, man. He, he in, in going to this Hispanic church, uh, <laughs> and he spoke Spanish cause he, he grew up speaking Spanish and all that. So, um, he was always kind of this anomaly right at church. Like is all these Hispanic guys. And then you see this white yeah. dude is like taller than everybody. The token white guy. <laughs> yeah. The token white guy. He's the tallest guy. He's speaking Spanish to you. Like no, no problem. Right. Um, yeah. And he just took an interest, man. And, uh, just gave me the time of day to give me counseling. Uh, and I remember, one specific instance for me that really made the difference in terms of um, it, it was when I when I started preaching. So I was we were getting ready to do the youth service and I, I was preaching for the first time. I was like, man, like I want to do a preaching youth and, you know, pump up the youth. And I had no idea how to prepare a sermon or anything or even read scripture and try to get details out of it or a lesson out of it. So uh, Pops, he's like, hey, man, I'll help you. All right, cool. So we went into one of the rooms in the church and. Uh, I'm sitting there, man, and, the, and the, this is the week of, okay, I haven't prepped anything. And he's like, he's trying to tell me like, hey, well, this is what you want to do. You want to look at the context of the verse and teaching me all the stuff. And I'm just kind of zoned out because I'm feeling down on myself that I haven't prepared. And I'm like beating myself. I'm like depressed teenager stage, right? And I'm slouched, bro. I'm like sitting down and he looks at me and he's like, hey, get up, stand up, look at me in the eyes when you're talking to me. And listen to what I'm telling you, because I'm giving you the answers of what you need to do when you get up there. If you're not going to get the help or if you're not going to you know, take the help that I'm giving you, then what am I even doing here? This is the first time another man, another grown man had checked me, you know, 
And I'm just like, really like, okay, like, dude. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm listening, sir. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. And, uh, you know, cause it wasn't, it wasn't like this aggression. It wasn't like he was trying to be the drill sergeant. Yeah, it was like authority. Just, it wasn't. Exactly. Yeah. But it was, it was just so another was his... man like coming in and checking a younger man that needs that because I was not in the zone, you know, and then that snapped me out of it. Sorry. You were, somebody was going to say something. Oh, I just stoicism. Yeah. That's a perfect yeah. example of it. Yeah. Yeah, man. Stoicism. That, that's exactly it. And he just had that. Uh, and he always he just always operates with that that demeanor, man. Like he just has that presence. And um, that's when he won me over. Right. When, when he when he checked me that way, he won me over. And he's like, all right, this guy, I need to listen to this guy. <laughs> like not because I have to. I just I want to listen to this man. And um, and yeah, man. And I, I I just grew to be like his son, you know, get a, it got adopted as a son. And even though. I didn't have my present father in the home. I had him and I would, you know, go to him for advice and seek advice and seek counsel growing up with him. And so a lot of uh, my childhood, a lot of, you know, besides the hip hop and everything, one of the big vices that I had growing up was game, video games, man. And you guys are talking about, we were talking about World of Warcraft earlier. Right? I never got into World of Warcraft, but I was definitely a Call of Duty guy and like, PlayStation yeah. and all that, right? So um since I lived in those rough neighborhoods, it was either my options was either hey, go outside and get in trouble, right? Mm. Um or stay inside and play some video games and just zone right. out, you know, every weekend, right? Because if if I was out at night at 10 o'clock at night, like I wasn't doing anything good, you know. Right. So um I chose the other option and that's what became a vice. So growing up, I was always playing video games, man, all to the late of the night and all that. So Yeah. Um Going into marriage, taking this vice with me uh, and this 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 addiction that I had, this is what started causing the problems for me, which is uh, which is an interesting thing. So, um, you know, fast forward, we my wife and I we got married pretty young. She was uh, just shy. She was like about nineteen or so. I was like twenty two, okay. twenty three, something like that. And how did you so, guys meet? Uh, through church as well. He's act- okay. She's actually um, my uh, my pa- pops. You know. Uh, it that's his stepsister. Um, okay. Which is interesting. Um, so yeah, so his dad got remarried, uh, at a later age. Uh, and that's how, um, that's how she came into the picture. Uh, so they're not blood related. They're just, you know, it's, it's a step thing. So I don't want to make it think like it's like some kind of Jerry Springer thing. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but yeah, so they're not blood related, but you know, it's a stepsister. Right. Uh, but, um, yeah, so that's how I met her through church and all that. And, um, yeah, man, we just we just had a connection and uh, and, you know, going into 18, 19, like we're uh, we we're, we're trying to do the Christian things. We, we didn't mess up or do anything like that. So we were like, hey, we're now, you know, now we're at an age we can get married. And that's why we got married in the living room and all this and that. Right. Because we didn't do the whole big wedding thing. I didn't have like a lot of money or a huge yeah. amount of income or anything like that. So we got married on love. You know, that's that was the, that was the big thing. Right. And, uh, so we got married young, man, and we, we didn't know what we were doing. We thought we looked at everything in terms of the marriages that we had as examples around us. And we thought it was going to be easy, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, the first year was amazing. It was cool. Like it was everything that we had expected, but going into our second year, we, uh, I'm playing a late night session of call of duty. All right. This is about two 30 in the morning. And, uh, I, you know, I'm getting ready to go to sleep. I turn off the PlayStation, 
go over to her side of the bed and uh, give her a kiss goodnight, let her know I'm getting into the bed. And then I see her phone on the nightstand next to her and it starts vibrating, right? Gets a text message. I'm like, who the heck is texting her at 2.30 in the morning, right? So I do what any curious husband would do and I check the phone and I'm like, holy crap. Open it up, unlock it, man, and it's uh, it's a conversation, a text message thread between her and another guy. And it's, you know, every endearing word that her and I have ever said to each other, like it's being shared between her and some other dude. And, uh, man, bro, like I tell you guys, like I was, I was, I mean, I was pissed. I was felt betrayed. I felt like every bad thing you can think of. So I, you know, I shove her awake and start screaming and yelling at her, uh, cussing her out. And I'm just, you know, it's completely out of character for me because I had never done that. And, uh, but that set me off. I wanted to freaking throw the phone at the wall and, you know, she's there in shock at the, me discovering it. And I'm over there shocked at the betrayal, you know, right. I just, uh, but what I didn't realize, man, in that moment and, you know, before anybody judges the scene and says like, you know, the red pill movement always has this thing where they're like, oh, you know, once a cheater, always a cheater and this and that. And if the woman does this, like they just have these general lies, uh, general uh, generalizations that they make and these blanket statements that they yep. make, man. And it's not, let me explain as to why that was the case, because this is where my issues come in, man. Yeah. So if we rewind back, right. Going into the marriage, one of the things that we had is that we, we both had false expectations. And this is something that you want to take note of for any of you guys that either haven't gotten married or just got married that are listening to this. Please take note of this, because if I would have known this beforehand, it would have saved us a lot of turmoil, which is I went into the marriage thinking that I had beat the game, thinking that I had gotten the girl of my dreams and that it was over. And that I could just put this marriage on cruise control and we could just live out the rest of our lives because the vows, what do the vows say? Till death do us part, right? Through sickness and in health and all that, right? So I thought, cool, like she's mine forever. No big deal. Like nothing's going to take us apart, right? Nothing's going to tear us apart, I should say. And she was going in with the expectation. I was like, man, this dude was so good when we were dating. Like he he treated me like a queen, treated me well. And if I marry him, he's going to be the 2.0 version of that man. He's going to be even better than I was, right? So we went in with the false expectation. And what happened is I became the downgraded model. Man, I, I, I go right. in and I, I start letting myself go. I, I start not wanting to take her out, not doing the flower thing, not doing any of the stuff that we were doing when we were dating. And I become more of an overprotective dad than an right. actual husband. You know, and she came from an overprotective home, you know, Christian and all that. So uh, her dad, her actual dad was a pastor. So it's like, you know, they come from that, that world. Right. Um, So she couldn't go out or anything, you know. So when we were married, like she was working, she had more freedom, of course. And uh, she wanted to go and she got invited to like, hey, let's go to a party or let's go this and for her coworkers. And she would come and tell me like, hey, babe, let's go. You know, like she was including me. She wasn't trying to exclude me. She was like, hey, let's go. Like we got invited here. Why don't we go check it out? You know? And I was like, no, it's not my scene. Let's not go. We're not going. You're not going. You know what I mean? So I became that guy, man. And over time, that got really, really old. And I remember 
one particular instance, uh, and I think this was this was a big catalyst because more moments like this happened more frequently. And it was I uh, was coming home from a late night uh, at the Apple Store. Uh, and if you guys have ever been to an Apple Store, you guys uh, kind of know how crazy it can get. And uh, so I'm I'm coming home. I just dealt with a bad customer, and uh, she's mad about her phone or whatever. So I was having a bad day, man. It was like 10 p.m. at night. I get home. Yeah. And uh, my wife is excited. She's excited to see me. She sees me walking. She's like, hey, baby, how are you? This and that. You know, she starts talking to me and asking me about my day, telling me about hers. And I'm just, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to talk to her. I don't want to do anything. So I go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I go and I I literally uh, go and sit on my recliner, man, put my feet up and I cut her off mid-sentence. And I'm like, hey, babe, can you just please be quiet for like, you know, I just, I just, I just want some peace and quiet right now. I don't want to hear anybody talk to me. I just had a bad day and, you know, I just don't want to hear anybody talk to me right now. And you can see her, man. She, she had like this face of heartbreak, you know, she's, she, yeah. she was like, why you're shutting me up. That was her, that was what her face was showing me. I wasn't reading it at the time, yeah. but that's what I was doing, man. I was, I was tearing that apart and, and turn. She's the only person that I should have been excited to talk to she's my wife she's the the only person that i should have been excited to talk to and hear her voice instead of this customer or whatever bad interaction i had i was taking that work with me you know and then what i would what would i do to escape from that video games right that's what i would do i needed to escape and i would be playing with the same guys that i was just at work with for 10 hours nine hours right same dudes just for another five hours of my day you know, going into late at night and, and playing and, and doing that whole thing. Living in a fantasy land, bro. While my wife is there next to me, wanting a relationship, wanting to be with me. And I'm not giving her the time of day. And then, you know, we go back to the scene that I just described to you of the discovery. And and that's what happens, man. Um, that's what led to that is that right. the attention, everything that I that I thought I was giving her, I wasn't. You know, and I could convince myself or I had convinced myself that I was a good man because I went to church every Sunday, mm-hmm. you know, or because I didn't because I didn't cheat on her because yeah. I, I wasn't out there looking for, a, you know, Jason Taylor or anything like that. I wasn't like my dad. Right? right. That was a big excuse for me. I was like, at least I'm not like my dad. At least I'm not drinking or doing all this stuff. At least I'm not addicted to drugs as if being addicted to video games was any better or higher, you know, <laughs> yeah. on that it's yeah, man, it was, it was this flawed thinking and it took that for me to like get the wake up call. Mm. But the hard thing is, man, that what happened after that was, was, was the, was the real test. I think is that we start doing counseling, you know, with our pastor, we start uh, trying to get the help that we need. And I become even more overprotective, you know, and more just, more of a dad because now I'm tracking her phone. Now I'm trying yeah. to, you know, trying to track where she's at. If she goes to a store for 20 minutes, you know, to go get some groceries, I'm like, where the heck did she go? You know, you could think of the psychology behind that and, and how maddening that would be to somebody. Um, I'm already an insecure guy at that point. Right. I'm, I'm right. suffering all these insecurities. And now I have this proof or evidence that this was going on. Uh, and even though she decided to stick with me and cut that guy off, like it still doesn't, you know, this, you, you, fear I could and, say the, I, the fear and insecurities there. Bro, yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. man. It doesn't just and, go away. 
it doesn't the just itty go bitty away. committee in your head. Yeah, man. Something. Yeah. And then, you know, and you can chalk it up to like, oh, you're Christian and you're, you're forgiving and this and that, but I right. wasn't really forgiving her, man. And, and yeah, that was the problem. And she could never get past it. She couldn't grow. If she, I had to look at her phone. I had to log into her email, to right. her social media. I was, I was crazy, bro. I was going, I was going crazy. Yeah. And well, and, and all of that yeah. <laughs> murders attraction. Yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. So like what, what you're describing that pre discovery, right? Yeah. All of your behaviors are all of the things that make a wife not attracted to her husband, you know? Yeah, man. Um, on you're every level, that's not, I'm not just talking physically, right? It, yeah. It's emotionally, everything. Yep. It's, it's, it's every aspect of marriage, right? Um, so yeah. And then from what you're describing, I can only imagine that it pushed you guys further apart for a time, I assume. So then what was kind of the turning point where, was it a change that you like made internally? Was it a decision you made in terms of how you treated her? Like what, how did the healing process actually start? Yeah. Um, so, uh, so essentially, man, um, one, I remember a, a day that I came home and, uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't out of the ordinary for me to get home while we were working things out where I would park the car and stay like 30 minutes after parking the car in my car. I would just stay there just weeping, bro, like just literally crying and trying to put on the face of like, I'm good. Let me go inside. Right. And so one particular day, I I just couldn't handle the emotion of it. And uh, I walked into the house and I kind of stormed in tearing apart the closet. She was trying to talk to me. She's like, Hey, are you okay? What's going on? This and that. And I'm ignoring her. Like, I'm like, shut up. I don't want to talk, you know? And I'm looking for my pistol. I'm looking for my Beretta because I'm like, this is it, man. Like I, I can't do this anymore. Like I'm, I don't, I don't want to keep, like I'm going crazy in my head, you know? So I was literally looking for my gun, man, because I wanted to load a mag in it and I wanted to put it up against my temple and I wanted to end it. Like, that's literally what I wanted to do that night um, because I just couldn't handle the emotion of it anymore. And thankfully, because we were doing the counseling, uh, our counselor told us like, hey, y'all have a gun in the house. Get it out of the house. You know, while you guys are working this stuff out, get it out of the house. Just keep it out. Give it to a you know friend, trusted family member, whoever can hold it for you guys until you guys work things out. I didn't listen to that advice, but my wife did. She got it out of the house and thankfully she did. Um because I don't know what would have happened that night, man. Like yeah. it was, it was really bad. Um, and I remember coming to the living room. She knew what I was doing. I don't want to tell her, but she knew what I was doing and she knew what I was looking for. And, you know, I just, I literally dropped to my knees, bro. And I, I started, I just started weeping like a little kid because I, I felt worthless, right? Like I felt worthless as a husband. I felt worthless as a man. I felt worthless uh, as the leader of my home and as as a Christian, right? Every every role that I that I played or that I that I, you could play as a man, like I felt worthless in every sense, man. And I even felt worthless in the fact that I couldn't even take my own life. You know, I was like, dang, like I can't even do this right. You know, and she comes, man. She hugs me, and she just embraces me. She doesn't say anything. She just embraces me, and I just I feel lost, bro. And I remember. The next day is when I called my pops and I told him, you know, I mean, he knew what was going on and he was helping us in his own way. And 
but he took me out to go get some food or something, you know, and I don't remember where we went, but we were in a parking lot and I remember we just parked and he had a talk, a conversation with me that again, changed the course of my life, right? Changed my perception. And he goes, look, son, you're never going to be able to control what another person does. You're never going to be able to control what your own wife does. It's just not going to happen, man. It's not in the cards for any of us. You can't control that. The only thing that you can control is you. And if you can get really good at controlling you and developing you and bettering yourself, then everybody around you has to respond to the changes that you make. They have to respond to it, including your wife, right? And now if you work on yourself and you get better, your wife will respond to that. Now, she could respond two ways. He said, you know, she could either decide like, hey, you're not the guy. I'm out. Cool. Yep. Her decision, at least you you changed. And then if you change, guess what? If God blesses you with another wife in the future, you're going to be a much different man that can handle that and that you're in a much better position. Or he said, your wife will respond positively to that and she'll actually come to the party. You know, she'll actually, you'll win her back. You know, you're not going to lose if you, if you do this and you just focus on what you can control. And so when he said that to me and it could, maybe somebody's listened to this and they think, man, that's pretty simple, right? It's like obvious and, and it is, but to me, it wasn't at the time, you know, control yourself, work on controlling yourself, personal development. We talk about this a lot in Apogee and, um, but it all came back to that. And, and when he gave me that perspective, that's when my, that shifted, that flipped that switch in my head. And that's exactly what I started doing. I said, all right, I'm not going to worry about the outcome of this. I'm going to worry about just being a better man. That's it. And literally, that's what I started doing. I started reading books on personal development, started, you know, reading more scripture, applying it, not just reading it, but applying it in my life, changing my habits, uh, drop, you know, didn't drop the video games completely, but I definitely reeled it back and I wasn't an issue anymore. You know what I mean? So um, it wasn't an addiction anymore. I, I stopped, uh, you get, I stopped the pornography, all that stuff too, because that was also that came, you know, from, from an early age as well. And like a lot of the vices, man, I just, I dropped them and then I just, I started living what I would say. Right. So if I told her I was going to do this, I would do it. And it took probably a couple to a few years to, yep. for her to really Right. respond right to it. it took time but she needed to see the undeniable evidence that i was actually changing and yeah. so as let, much as she sorry let, let's pause yeah. i'm sorry yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, i yeah, want to no, pause no, no. for one second because dads really need to hear this other than that mm. the motivating factors of everything that you were going through emotionally and and yeah. and with your marriage what were some of the ways that you broke free of the addiction of pornography and the addiction of video video games? Cause I, I feel there's a lot of dads mm. out there that are probably facing that same thing. Yeah, man. Uh, definitely environment control. That was a, that was a big one. Um, it's just putting myself in an environment where for the porn, that was it, right? Putting myself in an environment where I didn't have access to it. I didn't, um, that was a big thing. Cause I, I got introduced to that when I was like seven, you know, uh, and it was by like my babysitter's kids, you know, uh, an innocent thing. Like, my mom thinks everything's cool. My babysitter thinks everything's cool. Her older, you know, 12, 13-year-old, 14-year-old boys, like, they were like, hey, let me show you something, you know. 
Uh, and the worst part is that it was in my own house and it was, it was a VHS tape that my dad had in his closet. You know what I mean? So that was my introduction to it. And then that set it off for me to, to have access to it. And I always had, and now, you know, given the internet and phones and all that stuff, even easier access, that wasn't as accessible to me then, but, um, any access I had to it, I would take it. So I eliminated access. That was one thing, changed the environment. I put myself in an environment where I was around people that weren't going down that, that path that didn't do that or didn't engage in that because even dude, growing up in the church, that didn't matter. You know, there was like youth leaders and youth pastors and people that I knew, you know, even my older cousin who took me to church was doing that. You know what I mean? And sometimes we were watching that together. It's like, and you know, for anybody that struggles with that addiction, it feels sickening inside. Like, but it's hard to stop. It's a weird, it's a weird thing, man. Uh, and, and I think any addiction, I've never been addicted to, to drugs or heavy alcohol or anything like that, but I would imagine the addiction, the same dopamine hit that you get, that's what's happening right in your brain. So eliminating that man, um, eliminating the environment that they gave you access to it. That was, that was a big thing for me. And then replacing those habits with good habits, right? Uh, cause your, your brain's still seeking the dopamine hit. So I wanted to replace it. So working out doing other things, um, doing things with my wife, right? Uh, granted, I'll say this too, is like when when I stopped doing that and I was not seeking that stuff anymore and then her and I were connecting on an emotional level and we were we grew to love each other again and, and fall in love with each other again, um, our intimacy became better, right? Our, our, like, it was just better. So that in and of itself too, as a married couple, like that helps a whole lot get away from that because you don't have a need there, right? you you have it with your wife and you have that intimate moment with your wife. Um, so that was on yeah. the, on the pornography side, man, the video game side, uh, was, was pretty much kind of the same thing. It was just, I became so busy that I didn't have time for it. I didn't make time for it anymore. So even though it was still, I'd say it was still accessible to me if I wanted to play a game, it was there. Right. But I didn't have this urge or this need to want to anymore because I had so many other things that I was trying to work on that I just kept myself busy, right? So um, that that's what helped with with regards to that. So that's really good. Yeah, um, yeah. I, the idle hands thing is is the, the the toughest issue for a lot of people being bored and yes, finding sir. finding pleasure in, in their weaknesses and in, in the flesh, right? Um, yeah. And like like you're saying, there's a lot of people that are. I mean, just because you're a Christian or you're somebody, you're still going to have temptation. You're still going to have sin that you got to deal with and you're yeah. going to have to root it out and kill it. Uh, and that's just part of our sanctification process, in my opinion. So, but Justin, yeah. I, I know you had something I wanted you to, to jump in there. Sorry. Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack there, but um, I, I got similar advice to what, what you were given. I came from my father and a good friend of mine who's a mentor. Um, Tim Tanner, unfortunately he, uh, he passed away, um, mm -hmm. of a heart attack a few years after he gave me the advice. He was an alcoholic who mm -hmm. had completely reformed his life found Christ lived for his family, lived for his himself. And like just watching him have the discipline to not want. And well, I mean, he always wanted alcohol, but just to watch him like say no on a daily basis was just mm -hmm. something that kind of stood out to me. But one of the things that he said to me is Justin, 
there's two things in life you can choose to do. You can choose to be controlled or you can choose to control. Yeah. He said, you can't control everything and you need to understand you have to absolutely let go. But at the same time, you can control how you react and how you, you know, see things. Your perspective is huge. He said, you know, a lot of people when they act out of fear or they act out of insecurities or yeah. out of loneliness or wants, because I mean, that's one of the, the key causes for pornography use is loneliness. You know, people feel trapped or they feel lonely in a, a marriage or in a relationship. I've been there. Uh, I've been through a divorce. I've been through all the nasties of, of what you're talking about. And I can say, you know, wholeheartedly, that's some of the best advice you could be given by someone like Pops. Yeah. Is just kind of a slap in the face reality, just saying, hey, like George actually gave me some of that as well. He was like, look, dude, you know, you're, you're complaining about these things happen to you, but you're letting them happen to you, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of guys don't realize you put yourself in a vicious cycle when you, when you allow fear to take over, you don't have discipline and you don't structure your day to get away from the things that are drowning you because essentially that's what's happening. Each one of those controls, and this is how my dad put it. Each one of those controls is a sandbag and you're yeah. tying it around your neck and you're in the water trying to tread water. And the more you put around your neck, the further you're going to go under. And he said, start cutting those free. And, and when he said, when I say cut those three, I mean, let go. You can't yeah. control everything because I had really bad anxiety, you know, when I was a mm -hmm. teenager, I'm over it now, but I had to find mental fortitude and I had to, like you said, over a long period of time, just kind of rebuild my mental state, my emotional intelligence and just kind of learn. Uh, and Brandon helped me as well, obviously, cause he's my twin brother, but, um, the way my dad put it kind of struck home, you know, those weight that, that weight around my neck, I wasn't realizing that I wasn't cutting those bags. I was letting them sit idle. They may have been yeah. floating for a little bit, but they'd again, they'd get heavy again. So if I could give any advice based off of what you were, you were given, I would, you know, tell the dads or anybody struggling out there, cut those bags away. You don't need yeah. them. Like you, you feel like you need them or you feel like they're part of you, but the quicker you let go, the better you are. So, yeah. Yeah. We had a, we had a mentor, uh, in Apogee that came on, on our, our mentor calls that we've had this year. Um, he was a guy that specialized in, in helping men break away from porn addiction and I'm forgetting his name. So I apologize for that. But, um, one of the things that he said is that when, when you're in that moment, right. Uh, of choosing to engage in the addiction or not, you have about a three second window to make a decision. And I was like, when he said that, I was like, dang, like, that's right. Like it's that small in terms of the, the amount of time you, you have to make a decision to go with engaging in, in, in that behavior or not. Right. And within that time window, the more times you can decide, you know, that you're not going to engage in it. It's just kind of like reps, right? We talk about that all the time is like, how many reps can you put in and doing the right thing? given those temptations when, cause the temptations are going to, they're going to come around. Right. And if you can, if you can understand that, so you guys that are listening to this, think about that. It's a three second window guys. So it's immediate. As soon as you are given that temptation, that is when you have the ability to decide to do it or not. And the more times you decide not to engage in that activity, the easier it's going to become for you to not even entertain it. You know, and now um, I look back, man, I, I'm disgusted at myself for those moments. Um, it just, it, it, it is what it is, you know, so 
but I can speak about it now without it being like something that I'm ashamed of, right? Like I am ashamed of it, but I can speak to it now because it's going to help somebody else because I'm not the only guy out here that suffered that, man. I'm not the yeah. only guy that's that's gone through this at, at all um, or is going through this right now. And it's like, no, like, and and that's what I think we need to, as men, like as fathers, we need to be more vocal about this stuff because we put this absolutely we put this in the in the closet man we put this and we hide this under a rug and we we try we try to give the facade and the perception that we're all like oh yeah we're all okay especially in the christian world right like this -hmm. is one of the biggest things that i have with like christian men's groups sometimes is that this is not for everyone i'm not saying all churches do this but a lot of the churches that i grew up in there was there was a a perception for the Christian man or the, the Christian family man that would go to church and he had to live a certain way and present a certain way. Right. And you couldn't bring up taboo topics like that because it was like, no, we couldn't, we can't talk about this. Like this is too taboo for church. Yeah. This is too, you know what I mean? And when you hide those dark demons, like you can't slay them. You just can't. Well, they, yeah. They just grow in power, they grow in power, yeah. man. And um, they live in the darkness. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And we do need to bring them out to the light, man. And and Mm -hmm. without any, without casting final judgment on our fellow brothers, because that's not our call, right? That's God's call. Um, But to help, man, to be there and and support them and to help them get past these addictions, because, dude, I mean, you were talking about the the bags, right? And letting that go. Uh, The depiction that I have of the struggles of a man is is the the whole atlas shrugged you guys are familiar with this depiction of like the atlas holding the the earth and yep. the, the, the right and the weight of that that's how i feel every man walks around that that's that's the the illustration of the depiction that i feel is how every single man on earth feels right they feel like they walk around with this big old thing on their shoulder and then when you're a family man and you get married throw in a wife and a couple kids in that world right and now you're holding that up not only are you holding that up, but now it's your job to hold that up and protect it from all this, all these attacks that are coming from all different angles, right? Whether it's culture, whether it's society, whether it's school, the government, pro, whatever, right? Um, vices like porn addictions and all that stuff, all attacks, man, coming for you to freaking shrug and drop that ball. Mm. That's how I, that's how I picture it in my head. That's what's happening. And, what if we do what pops told me what um you, you justin what what your dad told you in in terms of letting those bags go letting these distractions go and understanding that if you control yourself and you get better at developing yourself you become strong enough to hold this world without you having to feel like you need to shrug you become strong enough to do that and then it doesn't become it's not that it becomes easy it's never going to be easy right but you yep. become strong enough to hold it. You become strong enough to protect it. You become strong enough to have other people, other men around you, good men around you that can help you when it when this starts getting a little, little too heavy, right? Good men that yeah. mean well, and dude, it, it makes the world of a difference. And you know, I've found that in Apogee. I've found that in, in in the group of men that I've surrounded myself with and the environment I put myself in, and it makes it hard to be distracted because you. You know, when every guy next to you, shoulder to shoulder, is freaking focused on becoming better, you, you you're not going to be looking back. <laughs> you're not going to be there distracted. You're just going to be right there, yeah. right alongside with them, man. So, well, the beauty yeah. of this is as well, and a lot of guys don't think about this. 
you're not alone, man. Like if you, we talk about it all the time. If you have a tribe, I know that that plant, that world, I don't have to shrug because I have George, I have Dustin, I have Brandon. Yeah, you got a whole bunch of extra sets of hands helping me and protecting that. And at the same time, you talked about the three seconds. Well, let's think Mm -hmm. about the positive of that. Yeah, the negative is you have three seconds to fail and you probably will every now and again. But you also have three seconds to make the right decision and have discipline. And Meg Ryan, Robin, excuse me, uh, said it best. She said she had the biggest trouble when she was in a depressed state uh, mm-hmm. right after they had children. She couldn't get out of bed. She just did not want to do anything. And she finally just had this epiphany one day. She thought she was just going to act like a rocket ship and she was going to count down from five. And she counted down from five and she said every day, for the next few months, I think it was six or seven months is what she said. I pretended I was a rocket and I counted down from five. And she said there was like a neurological link to that. It actually mm-hmm. makes you take action. And she'd count down from five and hop out of bed like she was a rocket taking off. And yeah. that stuck with me. That was something that always, so on the flip side of your three second rule, you can use that three seconds to take action, to be disciplined and to find a positive, you know what I mean? So, yeah. uh, share that wisdom, have a tribe, like we say, because there's, there's so many benefits of that. And I think that's the problem is us as men, we isolate, we, we want to carry that. Yep. We, we're kind of self-deprecating. We, we want to put ourselves oh, yeah. in that situation where it's like, oh, we have to hold this by ourselves. Don't help me. Don't help me. I don't need your help. It's like, no, dude, you're getting crushed. You need help. Like, yeah. so reach yeah, out, man, the, you know, the, we're here. You're here. There's, there's, there's plenty of fathers and men like us who want to be in each other's lives and help, help other people. So. Yeah, man, the, the lone wolf mentality, bro, it's, it's, it's such a, it's a detriment, it's detrimental, right? To, yeah, I'm not in the inside joke, but I'm going to say it. Uh, it's detrimental uh, to, to men as well, man, to family men, that they don't have other reliance on a tribe. And what, uh, what ends up happening, um, and this is something that just sparked the thought right now, man, am I losing it? I'm literally losing it. Um, okay, lone wolf mentality. Um, dude, I literally lost the thought, and it's gone. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's so gone. Three seconds, right? I had, I had three seconds to to think about it, and I literally lost. That's the thought. just called getting old. Yeah. That is that is <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that is called getting so, old. Well, I think you're yeah. trying to say like if you're the lone wolf, you can't. You know, you need the whole pack to help defend you. Work yeah, together. That, is that where you're going? I was, with it? I was going. I was going somewhere along that. Um, man, but it was something. It was something just a little bit deeper. And I lost it, dude. I'm gonna remember. I'm gonna remember okay. just a little bit. So when yeah. you do, we'll, we'll circle back when. Yeah, when I'll you circle do. back to it when I do. Uh, the the thing Sorry. though, too, that that warrants some some acknowledgement is that when you're quitting these these vices and you're getting rid of them and you're shedding yourself of them, you often have to focus a target of something that you're wanting to achieve in transition, right? So you're you're quitting. Let's say you're quitting video game addiction. Well, you've got to have something else that you can focus on to replace it. Because if you don't, what's going to happen is you're going to say, okay, I'm out of it. And then you've got nothing. You're not targeting anything. And either you're going to get bored or you're going to get depressed. And then guess what? You're going to fall right back into, you're going to go back to that comfort, right? So you have to have actionable targets um, to, to transfer your, your focus of your mind uh, to that. And uh, I think that's such an important thing, uh, whether it's in relationships or in your, your, you know, overcoming, certain things and practicing your discipline. So I uh, just wanted to kind of emphasize that because it's, it's super important for, for men who are dealing with addiction to, to understand that you have to have a good target, a healthy target um, to get yeah. out of these addictions. 
Yeah, and, and here's here's what I wanted to say, and this will this will relate is that one of the things that that happens is right as as family men as men that get married, um, or even when we have kids, is that we think just by the simple act of getting married or having kids that miraculously these vices or these things are going to go away, mm, right? Like yeah. when I when I become when I get married, I won't I won't have that addiction to porn anymore, right? right. You, you'll you'll hear people people guys will think this way. That like, oh, I won't have any need for it because I have a wife, right? Or they'll think like, uh, you know, I won't have that vice anymore once I have kids because I, you know, now I have a kid. Like now I got to be more responsible. I can't be out at night, right. you know, going out with the boys, drinking or whatever it is. Um, and it doesn't go down like that, man. It it doesn't. Like, you know, you, you would think that, um, and I've had kind of discussions about this, you would think that just because of having a family that that is a reason enough for you to stop, right? You would think yep. that sounds great on the surface, but it's not true for all of us, man. Um, right. This is something that Tim Kennedy was talking about at the event, at the gala, which he's talking about purpose, right? And a lot of the times what, what happens, and this is what's happening to me, right? I would I placed my wife on a pedestal. Yep. I thought that she was my trophy wife and she was my purpose for living. She was the purpose, she was my guiding star, all that, all that stuff, right? Like she was the the thing that made me. So when things didn't work out with her, what did I feel? My entire world was crashing. I wanted to end right. it, right? You cannot put another person as your purpose. Like even your kids, even your, your wife, they are a part of your purpose. They are a part yeah. of your world. They're, they're ready to ride with you. And it's your job to protect them, guide them and all that stuff, right? Provide for them. Absolutely. But when you make other people your purpose and you put them on a pedestal, it's not fair to them because they are just as flawed. They're just as human as you are. And you, you can't do that to them, you know, and then you're also doing a detriment to yourself. Let me use the word again. You're also doing that again to yourself, right? Because you're, it's not, it's not going to give you the purpose that you're looking for. You can't have another person be your purpose. God can be a purpose, right? But God gives you a mission. God gives you yep. a purpose for living. It's not him that's the purpose. It's the life that you live that makes him, you know, uh, appreciate all the acts that you do, everything that you do, right? The faith that you have in him, like all those things, that's what gives you purpose. So you got to have a purpose that's deeper, man. And it's, you know, when you put it on a person, when you, even when it's your kids and all that, it's not gonna, it's not gonna work. It's not gonna last. And don't yeah. expect that just because those life changes happen, you become a father and all that, that it's just miraculously going to change. It's not, it's not even, even more so you're going to feel even more pressure if you're thinking that way. But right. if you're already looking for a purpose and you're defining what that is. And you know, that's such a hard question for people to a- answer, right? Is what do you want? What do you want out of life? You guys ever try to ask that to fellow men or something like that? Like you get the deer in the headlights look like, uh, yeah. I don't know, man. Like, I don't, I don't know what I want. Right. Like, but people that can kind of answer that question and, and give you at least a direction or some something, right? Um, like, hey, man, I don't know what I ultimately want, but I want this right now. Like, this is what I want. I want to have a good marriage. I want to have a strong, solid relationship with my kids. I want to be a better father. Targets. Targets. Yep. Yep. Right. Absolutely. The, the, uh, Sorry, go ahead, George. The, the putting your wife on a pedestal, the, mm. the reason that's also so... Um, problematic for marriage is she naturally wants to follow her husband right 
the husband is supposed to be the one guiding the family. So when you invert that relationship, guess what? She doesn't have a husband now. Yeah. She has another kid to take care of <laughs> yeah. or another teenager to take care of, right? And so that's why a good friend of ours, you know, he, he leads a men's group um, that helps kind of really break down that dynamic because most men are taught very poorly these these truths, right? Yeah. Um, but he says, you know, become the man your wife wants to have sex with, not the one she has to have sex with. Yeah. And when you Ooh, do that codependent kind of controlling behavior and everything, yeah. you're the guy she has to have sex with. And that's an ouch for a lot of people. But when you really like... I, G, like you're saying, you you kind of looked at yourself and like, Ooh, man, I am not being the man I need to be, regardless of what my wife does. Yeah, you know, this is just who I should be. Period. End of story. And when you started doing those things, you know, and cutting out pornography, mm. you said your intimacy and your whole relationship started changing. Um, and final point on like pornography, I think a lot of people think, oh, it's harmless, right? It doesn't really do anything, or you know, whatever. Flip the script. If you knew your wife was looking at that kind of stuff all the time and fantasizing about other dudes, yeah, how would you feel? Like, I think guys have this thought, you know, it's a lie that it doesn't damage the closeness that you can have with your wife. And the truth is that she knows she's not dumb. She knows what you're doing. Yeah. You know, oh, he was, he was in there a little too long or whatever, right? Like, they know what's going on. <laughs> and that has to hurt. And, and that creates distance, right? Because there's scar tissue now. So um, you listen to this and you think, oh, it's fine. I don't need to fix that or whatever. It's, it's not hurting anyone. It's hurting you, man. Yep. It's hurting your sex life. Yep. yep. Among many other things. But, yeah. you know, there's the, that. The solution, too, and a lot of people don't talk about this, but, um, you know, if you don't have a tribe, you can find people who are great mentors. Uh, you know, like I said, Meg Robbins or Gary V. Actually, this is one of the words I want to use right now. Gratitude. If you're grateful mm. for the things you have and the people you have in your life, you won't make as many mistakes as you would if you weren't. So I think as men, we need to practice gratitude and really like be intentional about our gratitudes. Because if if we're grateful for our wife and grateful for the relationship we have for them, we're, we're going to be less likely to do things like porn. Or if we're yeah. grateful for our house and home and our children and having that that lifestyle that we want with that, you know, we're, we're going to be less likely to make the same mistakes and let our addictions take over. So I think that's something as men we don't really do as well as, as appreciate gratitude. So, yeah. And one thing I'll add to that is look, look for other men to help. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's hard to do something wrong when you're in when you're in the state of wanting to help other people. You know what I mean? Because it yeah. forces you to to be better. Like it just you exactly. Because then you don't want to yeah. you don't want to be inconsistent. You don't want to be a hypocrite. So what do you do? You you level up in helping other people. You know. So if you seek out fellow men that are in your immediate circle that need help, that need advice, that need counseling, that need a, a brother to lean on, be that brother. You may not have it all together. That's not what I'm right. saying here. You don't have to have it all together to help somebody. Help, and in doing so, it'll help you. You yeah, know, the, it, the pressure yeah. of like, okay, I have to model yeah. what I'm, I have to practice what I'm preaching to these people. Yes, sir. And I've, now it's public, right? I, I've shared it with someone else. I can't just keep it yeah. hidden inside me. Yeah. There's, there's this like pressure that builds on you and it, it's positive pressure. It's yes, a momentum forward that pushes you to rise to what you're, you're saying, you know? And, um, yeah, you, you, 
think about it like from a team perspective or military or whatever like when you're the guy in charge or you're the captain of the team or whatever like you all eyes are on you you have to be the step above right so yeah. if you, you can kind of create that for yourself like you're describing that's that's a very very good tool to kind of hold yourself accountable right you you create the accountability right. through yeah. wanting to mentor others but um so gee love all this advice you've been giving us um sharing with your story and and diving into those so i appreciate your your vulnerability about them um, sure. can we move on a little bit so yeah. obviously you and your wife were able to reconcile and restore your marriage can you describe um, for us a little bit, you know, how, how that transformation looks now and, and your family today? And, um, you know, I guess maybe summarize a few of the real key critical lessons learned through that journey. Yeah, man. Uh, I mean, looking back now, man, um, I think that if we wouldn't have gone through that hard trial, we wouldn't have we wouldn't be as in love with each other as we are now, because that forced us to grow up really, really fast you know, and, and make some really tough decisions at, a, at kind of an early age. And, you know, thankfully we didn't have any kids at the time when we were going through that. So it was just us, um, which I'm grateful for, because I think if, if we would have had kids, that would have just made it a whole lot, whole lot more, you know, a whole lot worse, I think, um, and even harder. Uh, but it it grew us closer than I could have ever imagined, man. I, I love this woman to freaking eternity and back bro like she is the love of my life uh and likewise you know she'll she'll say the same and uh we have these three beautiful incredible kids uh that keep us up <laughs> and and you know force us to be better in every way and and we're we're learning as we go uh but yeah man we we just we grew so much from that experience um and as we look back it's it's nothing but gratitude for it. Um, we can look back now at it and, and it doesn't hurt. It just, we can acknowledge that it occurred and we can look at that as something that we needed to go through, um, in order for us to get and have the blessings that we do now, you know? And, um, and now, I mean, we have excellent communication between both of us. Like we, we don't really fight. I'll tell you that much right now. Like we don't really fight. I mean, we'll have disagreements and this and that here and there, like every other, every couple has that. Right. But, um, we know how to navigate the conflicts. We know how to read each other, you know, um, when we have hard times with the kids, you know, sometimes if I'm in a mood or if you know, I get a workout in or something like that, and I'm kind of mad or I'll, you know, I'm in a, in a bad emotional state, she tags me out, you know, and she'll, or she tags herself in and she'll take over and she'll do that and vice versa. If she's had it, you know, all day with the kids and she's kind of having a rough one. Like I can read that and be like, all right, cool. I'm going to come in here. Hey, take a break. Let me take over, you know? And we just have that dynamic that it just, she makes it easy. Like right now yeah. you know, I'm doing the podcast and she, she took the kids and she's like, all right, how long have you been there? Okay, cool. From this time to this time. Cool. Let me take the kids. Right. I'm going to take them to the room. We're going to, you know, chill out there. Um, that way we give you guys some, some space and you guys, you can rock the podcast and, yeah. You know, and I don't ask her to do these things, bro. She just, she, she, right. from her heart, you know, from the kindness of her heart. And, um, it's just, it's a huge blessing, man. So what I, you know, it was, it was a big discussion that we had before when we were, when we were going to bring this story to light, if you will. Right. And I, and yeah. I'm very intentional about how I share the story because I, I never want to put her in a bad light. That's not what this sure. is about. Like, it's not exactly. like a wife bash session or something like that's not what it is, man. Like, 
everything that happened was on me, on me, a hundred percent, you know, despite the mistake and despite the, the decisions and all that. But I forced those things on her because of the way that I was not showing up. Yep. So, yeah. I, you know, same, same with my story and you know yeah. it. So, yeah. yeah. It, yeah it, man, so. Every time I, I hear stories, dad after dad with their marriages, you know, they, they think that marriage is the the finish line when it's really the starting line right and and i think that the only way you find harmony like you're describing where you just know each other you just work together naturally and everything flows is you've set a foundation and you've eliminated solipsism right that selfishness that Mm self-centeredness you're you're having to die to yourself and realize that you are no longer just your own flesh you're your flesh and your wife's yeah. And when you work together as a team and it's you and her against the world, not you versus her and everybody else. And, yep. you know, it's, it's so much easier. And, you know, it, I mean, just like a great example, solipsism, it, pornography is a heavy part of that. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you're, you're in those kind of things, you're killing the motivation to be, to give effort to your wife because why you're, you're pleasuring yourself. Right. And so, so you have to kill the selfishness. You have to kill that self-centeredness and kids will do that. And and being in enough fights with your wife will do that too. You know, hitting that low, Mm because I I believe every marriage, no matter how good your relationship is, you're going to have some kind of fight and you're going to have to fight for your marriage at some point in time. Oh yeah. And so you have to be prepared for that. And, and the best way to be prepared is what did I do wrong? And how can I fix it? And how can I grow to prevent these things from happening again? Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, I love that you're, you're, you're vulnerable and you've been, you've, you've kind of shown us that. I appreciate that. So thank you. Thanks, man. And G one, one last real quick question, because you brought it up earlier, the whole red pill movement. And, um, and in many ways, I think it's, it's the backlash to the other side of that movement, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Feminism and everything else, right? Sexual empowerment and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, you, you and I have contrasting stories, right? There's, there's yeah, similar situations, but I, I was the offender, right? In my story, you're the receiver. So, um, but either way, this whole concept of like, oh, you know, once, once that way, always that way. And mm. what, what would be your kind of arguments to dispel? I, I think that's a lie. I think the red pill movement is, it's trying to teach masculinity, but it's a very one dimensional brutish version of what a man should be. Yeah. So what, what is your kind of word of caution to younger men who hopefully listen to this and to try and not buy into that? Because I I think that that movement is going to create just as much damage as what we think caused where we are today. Yeah. And if we just trade one for another, we're just going to keep doing damage. So yeah, I'd be curious for you to dive in a little bit more on, you know, what, what does true marriage look like? What does true reconciliation look like? And why is that, argument from the red pill side wrong yeah yeah that's a good question man um so uh, you know one thing that that they're operating on the whole red pill and 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 i'm gonna straight up say this is i was kind of following down that line you know i was watching like andrew tate videos and all that, especially being in the men's space so i was watching some of that stuff and i was like man that kind of makes sense you know and and this is the this is kind of the caveat is that they're operating on these partial truths that when you see them and you hear them on a surface level there, um, you know, people say that the easiest way to get somebody on your side is to, for you guys to have a common enemy, right? And what ha- what's happening with the red pill movement is that they're making like feminism and even almost women, right? Like the modern woman, the enemy. 
And all these guys are rallying against that. And they're like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like the, the cheating wife or the cheating woman, right. like whatever, right? Whatever generalization they're making. And it all sounds good. And it's like a rah-rah thing. And it sounds like this big, powerful movement empowering men and all that because we've been raided and all this stuff. I get it, man. Like, I understand the sentiment. I understand why. It's like the extreme version of, like, the opposite, right, of the spectrum. You got extreme feminism, and then you got the extreme. And this is kind of a masculinist, if, if that's even a word, right? Yeah. Um, That's what it is. And I think what's happening is they're glorifying the wrong things, though. You know, the they whole are. being a masculine man, um, okay, get yoked, get the six-pack abs, cool, you know, get fit, get health. I, I'm agree with that. I get it. You know, money, okay, have yourself well. Do I need you flaunting the Lamborghinis, though? Do I need you, you know, flaunting how many women you can be with? Like, is that really the goal here? You know, is that? And mm -hmm. the guy that made me really open my mind and change my mind on the whole real red pill thing and being in agreement with this is one of our guys in apogee uh his name's ryan king he has a um he'd be a good guy to come on the show uh he has a an ig page right instagram page called the wisdom of kings um and he did it like a blog article type of thing talking about the red pill movement and all that and one of the the points that he made is he's like what is the more difficult thing for a man to do is the more difficult thing for a man to do to go out and get as much money as possible and sleep with as many women as possible. Um, is that the harder thing to do? Or is the more manly harder thing to do to be loyal to one woman for the rest of your life and be a good man and stay away from vices and be a godly man? Like what's harder, right? Between these two options. Yeah. And when he posed that question, I was like, oh yeah, the family, man, every, every freaking day, that's harder. Way harder. It's also do. the motivation too, right? Exactly. The, yep. the motivation of the the guy going to get all the money and the girls, it's still self. It's still right? self. It's all living for me, number yeah. one. Yeah. In the other scenario. Selfless. Yeah. You have to live for more than yourself. You have responsibilities greater than you. Yeah. Yeah, man. And so that, that, oh, it's that, also that, that not that dealing with baggage. Pure, the, the pureness of purpose yeah. makes a difference. Well, oh, yeah. if you don't deal with your baggage and you're like, well, you know, screw the world. And if, if I can't find any good women out there, I'm just going to do what I can to, you know, just do what makes me happy and nobody else matters. You're not dealing with anything. You're, mm -hmm. you're internalizing your problem. So honestly, you're going to be miserable in the end. Eventually those relationships and all those women are going to start to feel empty. You're going to start to feel empty and you're going to wonder why you're not going to understand why you're depressed and losing your mind, you know? So yeah, what they don't understand is, is the reward comes from the harder path. The family man is more rewarding in the long run. You get to sit there with your kids and grandkids one day, hopefully, if you're healthy and, you know, that kind of thing. So that's just my thought, thought process on it. But no, kind of I, to, I agree, man. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I wanted to change kind of gears here and, and get to something a little happier. Um, <laughs> so one of the questions we always ask dads is what is like a core memory or story that you have with your kids that really just kind of resonates with you? Mm, that's a good question. Um, man, one of the memories I have with my son, Ethan, my oldest, uh, I have a close bond with him uh, because he's into martial arts, right? So he likes doing Muay Thai, he likes doing jujitsu and that stuff. And, and I, you know, that's my thing. I love, I love, I haven't been like a, a practitioner my whole life, but I, I love dabbling in that stuff and I'm, I'm doing Muay Thai and all that stuff with him. 
Um, it's fun, man. And so he's grown up with this hero and villain persona, right? And this is, he loves superheroes. Like that's his thing. And that's how I grew up on superheroes, Marvel, all that stuff, right? So I've kind of indoctrinated him a little bit <laughs> with regards to that. Um, but when correcting him, right, and trying to discipline him and helping him make good decisions, one of the things that I that I came to find is that, you know, especially right now dealing with like tantrums and sometimes he'll get emotional and scream and yell and all that stuff. And I let him kind of process the emotion. Uh, but asking him the question of like, hey, is this hero behavior or is this villain behavior? And having that click in his mind, that's been a huge moment for me, you know, because a lot of the times we think that kids don't perceive things, they don't rationalize or they don't reason with things like we do, you know, because we're older or more mature, whatever it is. But he surprised me because in those moments when I can get him to snap out of those emotional states, I ask him that question and he can kind of make a, de a decision, right? He can say, no, that's, that's villain behavior. And I ask, oh, what do you, what do you want to be? Do you want to be a hero? Do you want to be a villain? And he says, no, I want to be a hero. Okay. So what should we do? Should do what hero things do, you know, what heroes do. Um, do heroes do hard things or do they do easy things, right? Like using that as a perception um, and that's, that's helped him man. kind of rationalize and having that connection with him where I can turn to him and ask him that question in those difficult times. Like I can tell you, Happy moments. We've had a bunch of them. We we love cracking up. We love laughing and all that. But I want to give you that because when you when you get to a point where you can not only relate to your kids, but also teach them a lesson in a way that where my my dad or my my grandpa would have just taken out a belt and just whooped me, you know. Um, that was the quick go-to correctional thing. But if you can rationalize with them, if you can get them out of their emotional state, like I think you build a really strong bond with your kids when you do that, man. Um, and if you do that a lot, you you get better at it. You learn how to read them. Um, and I think that's a, I think that's a good lesson. And then some, uh, they're, they're, those have been key moments for me where I'm like, all right, I might, I might be doing this. Okay. You know, I might be doing this. Okay. I'm not, I'm not there yet, but I might be doing this. Okay. And that's a, that's a good thing to to have as a father, bro. They're definitely yeah. leading. Yeah. Yeah. And until they look at you and laugh maniacally and then you're like, Oh, this is the villain. <laughs> yeah. Until you turn like, into the Joker. Yeah, exactly. He just wants to watch yeah. the world burn, you know? You're like, yeah. Oh man, like what do I do now? Yeah, what do you do now? I don't know about that one. Well, we gotta talk to Jordan Peterson on that one, man. That's a different that's a different type of uh, <laughs> We got Brandon Blinson. Psychology. There yeah, you go. got Brandon yeah. Blinson right here. He's just as good. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there right. you go. No. <laughs> so I do have a question. Um Yes sir. What are three ways on a daily basis that you, uh, what are three ways that you, you lead your family on a daily basis? Sure, man. Um, so one way for sure, uh, is leading on the, the physical health side. Um, I make it a point to be physically active, uh, especially this year, man, like Apogee has really leveled that up. Um, mm -hmm. so that's been, that's been great. Uh, it's been awesome to see my kids go into the gym room with me and they're, they want to work out, you know, like. And it makes the workout longer uh, for sure. You know, when they're in there, cause you're worried like, Oh, don't touch that. Wait, wait, you know, yeah. uh, they're picking up the weight. They're like, no, dude, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's fun because I see them. I see that I'm setting an example in that regards to that, you know, and even with my wife, you know, just her having a kid just recently, you know, having, having our baby, uh, she's only four months postpartum and she's seen the change and seen that, 
So now she wants to jump in there as well, you know, and I haven't made it an issue. I haven't forced her. I haven't said, hey, like you should start. None of that. It's just been me being consistent every single day doing some sort of physical activity. And that's that's been huge. So that's been uh, definitely a leadership thing that I'm I'm very, very grateful for, man. Great, very grateful for. Um, The other thing is uh, I try. I want to say try. I do my best to spend intentional time with them every single day. So I, in Apogee, we have this thing, uh, the, the E11 or the E10 uh, is what it's called. And one of the habits in there is to write a note or something to your, to your family, write a, write a, a gratitude note or something telling them you love them, some encouraging note, you know, to each member of your family. I play my own game. So what I do instead of do the note thing, I, I do intentional 10 minutes, a minimum of 10 minutes. So just no tech, no nothing. Hey, just you and me and the kids or me and my wife, and we're just engaging in conversation or I'm engaging in the kids. And usually with the kids, I mean, they're five, so we're just playing, bro. Like we're playing with the action figures. We're playing uh, whatever, running around. Um, we, I had this cool moment. I'm going to share this. I had this cool moment this weekend. Um, we were, I had, I had just done a hard workout. Or I was like 70-minute workout. It was, I was sweating. Uh, come out. My kids are running around. Uh, and then I just started playing with them. We were like playing with like a soccer ball inside the house. Probably not the most cool, the coolest thing you should be doing. But um, yeah, so I was running around with them after the workout uh, and they got winded. You know, they were like, oh, we need some water. And they were all winded. And I'm all like, you guys are done. Like, what's up? You know, so that was a cool <laughs> moment, bro, to to see, to experience that. Because just like a year, year and a half ago, like I was, I would be the guy that was getting winded and all that, you know. So um, it's it's cool to see that. Uh, to, to have that moment, but intentional time, 10, 10 minutes, 10 minutes minimum, um, with each member. Uh, I try to do that every single, or I do my best to do that every single day, uh, with them. And, and if I could do it, if I can't do it individually, I'll do it collectively, but just try to make it no tech, no distractions, just like, Hey, we're engaging in something, uh, some sort of activity or engaging in conversation, telling them stories. I love, I love Love telling them beating them, beating them in sports and being like, I'm loco, man. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm a loco. <laughs> yeah. The loco dad. Yeah, the loco dad, bro. <laughs> um, and then uh, the other thing, man, is I do my best to read every every day. So I think reading and learning a new skill or bettering yourself in that, gaining, acquiring skills, huge. And I think as a leader, a family leader, that is one of the biggest things that you can do because you're going to need all sorts of skills to do this job effectively, guys. Like, you know, you think about like you need communication skills. Sometimes you need sales skills to sell your kids on some sort of new thing that they need to do. <laughs> you know, uh, there you need all sorts of different skills to be able to do this job effectively. And I just um, I'm in love with learning, man. And I, you know, I don't particularly I'm not fond of school, but I freaking love education. Uh, and I love learning and I think reading every day and making it a priority to read every day, even if it's just for 10 minutes or more, is a huge uh, benefit and a huge thing that can help you advance as a family leader, for sure. And if your kids see you doing it, your wife sees you doing it, just you're just setting a good example for them. Um, and don't give me that crap of like, you know, I'm not a reader or I don't like to read. Like, yeah, you do. You read social media posts all the time. Yeah, you you read long boring emails at work all the time like you you read you know you just haven't found maybe material that you actually like or that you actually think is going to help you 
Um, but try reading some, you know, some of the books that we read, right? And yeah. it's yeah, it's gonna help you. So for sure. But those are three things, man. I don't know if that's that was oh, great. That's cool, yes, but, yes, yeah. perfect. And you, you segued into my next question, which is perfect. You're yeah. talking about learning uh, yeah. and and handing down knowledge, right? So what does the ideal legacy G for your your kids look like to you? Like what would be the ideal legacy you want to leave them? Yeah. Yeah, man, for me, it's, so I have a, I have a journal, right. That, that I write in, um, I try to write it in every day. Uh, but what I do for this journal is I have, I have chapters separated in there. And one of the chapters that I have is, uh, for my kids. It's literally like where I write lessons, where I write stories, where I write maybe flaws that I have, things that I want to leave behind because, you know, when I, uh, this came about when my grandfather passed away a few multiple years back. You know, I got the call that I wasn't super close with him. I was close to him as a kid, but I wasn't close to him as an adult. And uh, it was my dad's dad. And I got the phone call from my mom telling me that, you know, he passed away. Uh, and at first it didn't, you know, it didn't hit me. I just, I got the news and I was just kind of sat with it for a little bit. And then I started kind of crying and feeling it, you know? Um, and I started thinking to myself, man, I'm like, this man, who knew my dad really well before my dad has it, had his accident. And he had all these lessons, all these stories, all these, all his wisdom that just ended with him. Like it's gone, you know, and I don't get to have like, there's no YouTube channel. He started, you know, that I can go watch. There's no Instagram page that I can go see and read some of his content, right? There's no book that's written about him or anything like that. I'm like, I would, I would love that. I would love to be able to, to get into his mind and see, well, maybe he wasn't the greatest man or whatever, but he had lessons, man. He had life lessons and experience that could have, that I could have adopted from and learned from to some extent. So I took that idea, man. And I jumped, I dropped it into my journal and I said, all right, like, I want to start writing lessons for my kids. And even though they're not old enough to receive them yet, you know, I don't know when my time is up on this earth, man. Um, so my legacy for them is all the lessons, everything that I've learned up to this point, that's what I want to leave them. Because if they learn all the things that I've learned at a much earlier age, they're going to have a whole lot of leg up on, on life, man. They're going to have a whole lot of leg up on, that's right. on, on marriage, on, on the family game, on, you know, the business side, like all these things on faith, right? Like everything they'll be able to learn, man, uh, in much faster and in a much, uh, much faster rate than I did um, and not have to suffer all the things that I had to suffer, you know, and, and that's my legacy. That's what I want to leave behind. And it's not money. It's not fancy stuff for material. Well, like it's no, it's the lessons that their father lived, you know, yeah. that's, that's what I want to leave them behind. Beautiful. Beautiful, man. Thanks, man. Um, gee, thank you so much, man for sharing your story, for being honest and open with us and uh, for just all the advice and wisdom. So where can people find you? What's the best way to get engaged with Alpha Dad Consulting and support what you're doing? Thanks, man. Um, yeah, man, uh, you just go to alphadadconsulting.com. Uh, that's the main website. Um, that'll lead you over to the podcast. If you look it up on any of the podcast platforms, Alpha Dad Consulting. Uh, YouTube channel is the same thing, Alpha Dad Consulting. And then... Um, uh, my Instagram page is uh, G Vidal. So my initial G Vidal uh, underscore A D C for Alpha Dad Consulting. 
Um, you'll be able to find me there. If you DM me there, I'm more than happy to have a conversation with you, man. I'm, I'm always looking for good men to, to plug into a tribe with. So, um, yeah, man. Yeah. Good men are good to and, and tell us a little bit more. You. I know, I know you kind of shared with me and maybe it, maybe it's a little too early to, to tell it all to the world, but I know you've got some big plans with kind of building a, a community and a, um, not necessarily just a paid thing, but like a, a, a group that people can come in and share this, you know, with other men wanting to improve. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially I'm, I'm building out a, uh, coaching program right now that I'm, I'm going to do, be doing like one-on-one coaching for like a 12 week program. Um, so I got that coming up, uh, early this next year, hopefully in January is when I'll have all that ready to go. Um, and then I'm building out a community product, um, that will be a, it'll be a paid community. Um, and, uh, yeah, alpha dad tribe is what I'm calling it. Uh, coincidentally, we've been using the word tribe this whole time, but that's, right. that's exactly what it is, man. And I'm, uh, it's just want to build a tribe of family leaders, man. Like that's, that's really what it is. Yeah. Um, and I, I think we, as, as family leaders, like we need to lean on each other and we need to build a brotherhood where we, where we can pour into each other and challenge each other, keep each other accountable, just like we've been doing in Apogee. And you know, I've learned a lot through there. Uh, I'm working with uh, Matt to try to figure out an Apogee affiliation as well. So, um, so that I have that as a component as well. I'm, I, I want to work with Matt. Uh, on that side and I'm going to try to be involved in, in Apogee as much as I can as well. So, uh, cause that, you know, all the guys there, man, like they, they're my brothers. So it's just like George. Uh, and now I'm adding Justin and Brandon in there somehow, you know, some way, uh, and Dustin who I didn't get the chance to meet today, but you know, hopefully I get to meet them again soon. We'll, we'll get them through the Apogee men's program. There you go. Soon, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> no, but that's uh, yeah. yeah, but that's it, man. G man, it has been a, a real privilege and uh i i have like i said i'm your apogee brother so i get to learn from you all the time <laughs> these guys just get a little taste so now they'll have to sign up for the program but bro i uh love so much um your story and your willingness to share and um i think a lot of people can relate to, to what you've been through and what you how you and your wife have uh fought for your marriage and it's it's the example we need because uh, too bro. often i think people throw the towel in too soon so Thanks for being a great example. Uh, I'm excited to continue to, to get to know you more as Apogee Brothers and supporting each other with what we're doing to help men. And uh, we just wish you all the best. And any way that we can help you, just let us know anytime, brother. Thank you, brother. Truly honored to be on the show, guys. Thank you. Thank all you, right. brother. Well, enough talk, dads. Let's get climbing that mountain of fatherhood. We'll see you in the next one. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Present Fathers Podcast. Make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Spotify to catch all of our amazing episodes. We will see you in the next one.